I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief, and you're listening to EE Times On Air. This is day two of our special series of podcasts reporting live from the Consumer Electronics Show in beautiful Nevada. In today's episode, we've got an interview with NXP CTO Lars Rieger. Also, another live interview from CES Unveiled with an executive of Atmosic, which has created a nifty new Bluetooth device that harvests energy from its environment to power, well, all sorts of things. We've also got another live interview with the developers of a squishable portable speaker. And we have a recap of the press events held by AMD, which wowed the crowd, and by Intel, which didn't. At last year's CES, international editor Junko Yoshida interviewed NXP Semiconductor's Lars Rieger, who had just been named CTO of the company. Twelve months have gone by, we're all back in Las Vegas, and Junko caught up with Rieger again. Rieger has a track record of promoting boldly unorthodox projects. He pushed the development of CMOS radar chips long before it was obvious that radar rendered in CMOS would succeed. More recently, he became an advocate for the use of ultra-wideband, or UWB, reviving a technology that years ago had been abandoned. Rieger has a habit of dreaming about the technically impossible. More important, he loves talking about his technical dreams. Junko asked him about his experience as a CTO. Last year, I started in December um, bringing together all the uh, technical roadmaps uh, of, the, of the different business uh, units uh, of the entire company and uh, trying to, uh, to find the common ground um, of uh, these portfolios that we have is and the Early dream in those days was that uh, we are the company for all smart connected devices so that can basically sense the environment, think of a smart advice, connect to the cloud if needed and send the smart advice uh, to the arms and legs of the robot, of the smart connected device you want to build. Adding safety and security to that and you are done. So if NXP could only be that company that can excel in all of these six technical mm. vectors, uh, we are unbeatable. Um, in the meantime, uh, a lot has materialized. And in each of these six buckets, uh, yeah. we can show how we how we move the needle uh, yeah. for the industry. And uh, yeah, that is, of course, uh, partially already a dream come true for me so that this, this story really resonates, yeah. uh, that we have uh, ingredients to show what right. we can do and then, uh, that, yeah, that we can walk the talk. Okay. I want to go down to specific because, as I was telling you before, um, the NXP's announcement of UWB kind of surprised surprised us. I mean, it, because I used to think UWB was dead, and why is it coming back, what it's for? There's something really unexpected to me, but as a layman. So tell me that how you started to imagine or reimagine UWB. When was that and for what occasion? Yeah, the the discussion on on uh, ultra wideband uh, is already pretty pretty old. So technically, I knew uh, ultra wideband, of course, since it's a uh, uh, beginning of the standardization uh, in the early two thousands uh, right. as a communication technology. But then it lost against Wi-Fi and then was dead as a communication right. technology. Um, I continued discussing with a couple of industry leaders uh, on the key development mm-hmm. side yeah. is uh, how how do we devi- define the, the next right. generation of car key electronics. Um, 
and uh, that, that never was was that that always was a was a good uh, discussion. But um, just only recently, uh, we then we then came to the uh, to the conclusion that technically it will work to use this technology to really remove the entire keyring in your pocket, and not only use it for car access but integrated into smart portable devices in your watch, in your phone, and access everything with an already standardized technology. So no one needs to redevelop, redefine it again. You can really go with that technology integrated into your smart portable devices and go and, and uh, yeah, access the entire world around you. Right. So, we, but you started to imagine the original impetus was that what if we use it for car key, right? Well, you are right. So the initial discussions were exactly on how do we make the car keys more secure, how do we make them smaller, how can we up-integrate right. better, and so on. The the only discussion then came uh, when we discussed, yeah, but we can make car key handling much easier. Uh, yeah, you, you, you send basically a security certificate like a banking transaction right. to your mobile phone, and with that you have a two-day car key and so on. And then we discussed uh, with a couple of, of technical dreamers as well, saying, hey, wouldn't that work also for your hotel key, for your front door, for your garage door? Mm -hmm. Isn't it annoying at the moment that you need to have one key per lock and, and you're running around with 20 different keys? Right. If you have the language for the key, ultra-wideband, IEEE uh, standardization already defined, and you use one of our secure elements that we're using in passports or banking cards as the key vault, right. and you combine those two, and you integrate them into your smartphone or your watch, couldn't this be your universal key platform for all things where you today use a key? Mm -hmm. And that was just basically a storytelling, dreaming activity. Right. And then, of course, uh, a couple of hundred, <coughs> if not thousand uh, people in our company, but also in the partnering companies, started getting active in this area and then right. uh, started, uh, started uh, innovating in that domain. Actually, I have never heard CTO talking about storytelling. Storytelling is something that marketing or PR people always talk about. So tell us that the importance of storytelling within an organization as a CTO. Well, uh, yeah, good, good point. Uh, I mean, we have 30,000 people in the company, uh, 10,000 engineers in the company. And um, of course, the company uh, will only be a world champion if most of these people are working in an aligned way as a team, know what the purpose is. So in other words, what you call storytelling is basically sharing a vision. Mm -hmm. And even if this vision, vision is a bit far out and then uh, technically not realistic today, mm -hmm. at least if you can, can bring a, a compelling story to the people, this will create thought leadership. Or in other words, there will be 10,000 people, hopefully, that are thought followers. And if you have thought leaders and thought followers, mm -hmm. then suddenly you can start crafting a joint roadmap going forward. And people will tell you what is not doable today or what could be doable right. in future and so on. But you are starting a conversation yeah. and nothing yes. else I'm doing. So it's just mm -hmm. trying to put a vision out yeah. there and people tell me where it's working and where it's not working, but then using 10,000 brains uh, and not my own uh, to realize this thing. But also as a CTO, you have to have something to back it up. In other words, that you're not just, you You use the word also dreamer. Dreamer is something that I don't really associate with that, uh, that regular engineer, right? Regular engineers always tell you that, oh, that's not possible. No, nah, that's not, we're not going to do that. You know, that's kind of a regular engineering responses to a dreaming 
you know, sort of dreamlike uh, project. So tell me about yourself, that when you were a kid, you were talking about that you were a little strange because uh, you weren't just dreaming. You actually started to architect, I guess, with a piece of pen and paper, architecture of submarine at the age of seven? Yeah, so, yeah, that is that is a funny, uh, funny childhood story. Uh, in, indeed, I I, I started uh, dreaming of building my own little uh, tiny research uh, submarine to see what's happening underwater. Um, uh, that, that drove me later also in in studying physics, uh, doing my MBA, uh, just trying to have a solid technical background. Yeah. I mean, there is a difference between being overly pessimistic and realistic, and every. Uh, every time telling what is not doable technically. On the other side, being such a dreamer that you are so unrealistic that, that you are losing your technical followership. So the fine line in between, having a solid technical understanding, knowing what could be possible, right. you don't know how to realize it in the last instance, but yeah. what could at least be possible, and then trying to get the followership uh, 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 yeah, supporting you. Uh, uh, that is, of course, the, the, the key ingredient. And for that, you need to have a pretty good technical understanding what at least physically is doable. Got it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank okay. you. NXP is at CES showing cybersecurity solutions and it will also demonstrate how ultra-wideband can be used in any number of IoT applications. CES Unveiled is an event held before the official opening of CES, where many of the standout products at the show are highlighted for a media crowd. In yesterday's podcast, we spoke with Jim McGregor of Tirius Research, who had sifted through some of the products presented at CES Unveiled. One that caught his eye was an energy-harvesting Bluetooth device from a company called Atmosic. I circled back around to talk to the company. Hi, I'm Srinivas Patamata. I'm the VP of Marketing and Business Development for Atmosic Solutions. We are a Bluetooth chip company. The two unique things about us is our Bluetooth is very, very low power, five to ten times lower than anyone in the market. And then we also have added a unique thing which is energy harvesting to the Bluetooth chip. And as a result of that, you can do two, one of the two things. A, you could actually extend the battery life five to 10 years, or in some special cases, you can run without any battery and you can use energy thing, any energy like RF for photo, thermal or motion. Okay, so you're showing us a, um, a PC, a laptop here on display. Um, is this specifically for PCs or can it be any battery-operated device? Our Bluetooth solution can be with any battery-operated device in the IoT market. Specifically, on the consumer side, think of uh, remote controls, wearables, home automation devices. On the IoT industrial side, think of beacons, asset tracking devices, and so on. That's fantastic. So can you go actually battery-free with... Any particular devices? You can go battery-free in many applications where there is enough energy and you're not transmitting every microsecond. For example, think of an asset tracking device in a hospital. You have 50,000 assets in a 1,000-bed hospital. And those don't need to be tracked every minute. If you just harvest enough energy and send a beacon every hour, that's good enough. Or think of a door lock that you use your phone to power the door lock, and then it unlocks itself. The phone powers the door lock. 
or think of a keyboard that is sitting in front of the laptop and the, and the wireless energy coming from the laptop can actually hook up to the keyboard and then actually harvest the energy. Are there specific uh, energy types you can harvest? Can you harvest any type of energy? We, today we can harvest RF, thermal, photo, and also motion. In future, we're going to add others as well. Okay, can you think of one of the coolest applications that uh, your energy harvesting device is enabling? Yeah, think of a switch that is connected to a Bluetooth socket. Now you can place the switch anywhere you want and it doesn't require any battery and just the motion of turning on and off the switch will power the Bluetooth solution inside the switch. Very cool, Srinivas, thank you very much. Thank you so much. After talking to Atmosec, a guy in the booth next door caught her attention. He was expanding and collapsing something that looked like a portable speaker, as if it were an accordion. It turns out that's exactly what it was. A speaker, not an accordion. I asked the guy doing the squishing to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Greg Stein. I'm the CEO of POW Audio. Okay, Greg is holding uh, what looks to be uh, a speaker. It's uh, white. It's roughly the size of a man's fist. And he just squished it. So tell us why you got away with squishing your speaker and why you did that. A squishy speaker, I love that. Basically, we have the patent on an audio expansion technology called WaveBloom. WaveBloom allows the speaker to expand and contract. It's founded by uh, actually uh, a dad and his son. Uh, his son is a guy named Cam. Uh, and he was actually going in and out of a like um, professional hockey player. And he's going in and out of the locker room looking for a great audio speaker, right? He couldn't find one. So him and his dad, who's a, a, an amazing designer, uh, developed this uh, audio expansion technology. You want to know where it came from? The inspiration came from one of those collapsible doggy bowls. You ever yeah. see those? Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool, right? Well, anyways, they took that. They uh, connected it to a audio speaker, uh, and that basically became the impetus for WaveBloom technology, which we now have the patent on. And when you pop it out, that gives you a bigger uh, sound chamber, right? As we say, it's all in the air, right? Okay. So on the back, uh, it's actually magnetic as well on the Mo that I'm showing you right here. Uh, and uh, basically, you can put that on a, um, a, you know, a golf cart or a refrigerator or anything like that. When you do that, you're going to get an even bigger sound. Why? Because the sound, it's all in the air. It's resonating uh, right out of the back of the speaker, and it creates like a plenum, and you get a much bigger sound yet again. Very cool. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. We've got a roundup of even more things we saw at CES unveiled on the website at eetimes.com. That story is mirrored on our site dedicated to our CES coverage at ces.eetimes.com. The story is called CES Unveiled, Know Thyself, Groom Thyself. Yeah, while there was some definitely cool stuff on display... A lot of companies seem to be flailing for a reason to exist and are creating devices designed to measure stuff that does not need measuring. Some of those devices are harmless, like toothbrushes, but others seem to us invasive and or creepy. Read the story and see if you agree. CES is all about consumer electronics. TVs, toy robots, coffee makers, car stereos, and the like. But years ago, 
companies that provide enabling technology started participating as well. CES is now an important platform for chip companies, who tend to make big announcements during the two days of press conferences prior to the official opening of the CES show floor. Yesterday, AMD and Intel were prominent among the presenters. EE Times European correspondent Nitin Dehad is here in Las Vegas with me and Junko, and here he is covering AMD's big announcements yesterday. AMD's CEO, Lisa Su, sounded ebullient in her press keynote at CES 2020, as she promised to deliver the best-ever experience to gamers and creators with the announcement of four new desktop and mobile GPUs. This included the world's first 64-core high-end desktop processor, the Threadripper 3990X, which, um, to use a very English expression, knocks the socks off anything else in terms of graphics performance for high-definition video rendering without any tear or stutter. The new mobile processors, the AMD Ryzen 4000U series, uh, again, which is on the 7 nanometer process, feature up to 8 cores and 16 threads, and she said deliver disruptive performance for ultra-thin laptops within a configurable 15-watt power envelope. Of course, there were a number of laptops she also announced from Dell and Asus and others. In general, the response to AMD's announcements were positive. There's general acknowledgement the company is closing the gap with Intel. Intel, on the other hand, had its EVPs, Naveen Shinoy and Greg Bryant, who were enthusiastic, as were a few of their guest speakers. But after all was said and done, most of the excitement was generated by Intel's canned playlist of ultra-hip modern pop, and almost painfully effervescent interstitial music. In terms of announcing new silicon, though, yeah, Intel was underwhelming. The company celebrated the integration of artificial intelligence directly in its Ice Lake processors, which had been previously announced, and it touted the integration of Wi-Fi 6, which had been previously announced, and its integration of graphics processing, called XE in its new generation of Tiger Lake processors, which had previously been announced. Bryant triumphantly held up examples of both the chip and a compact board featuring the chip, suggesting that Tiger Lake will be found in products commercialized in 2020. We asked Tyrius Research Analyst Kevin Crewell what he thought about Intel's presentation. He noted that Intel focused heavily on mobile and on AI in PCs. Even the long-awaited XE graphics was positioned for mobile, he noted. Both AI and XE graphics are integrated in Tiger Lake and in a discrete manner as a graphics processor unit that the company designated the DG1. The DG1, Crewell said, is going to disappoint some people who are looking for an NVIDIA killer GPU, however. That said, the Tiger Lake processor was at the heart of a laptop demo that was pretty nifty. It was powering what Intel called the world's first 17-inch foldable OLED PC. The two screen halves can operate independently, or they can be comboed into one seamless 17-inch screen. There's also a cool presentation on a technology that Intel first talked about two or three years ago. Intel VP James Caruana from Intel Sports showed off the company's motion capture technology, which captures motion not in 2D with pixels, but in 3D with what Caruana referred to as boxels. The idea is to capture a sporting event once, 
do some massive, furious processing, and then stream graphic reproductions from just about any viewpoint. Caruana showed a football game as an example. An actual game played earlier this year in which the Cardinals beat the Browns 38-24. He showed a stream from the end zone, one from overhead, one from the quarterback's point of view, and one from the point of view of a safety, all reconstructed by computer. Intel worked on speed of reproduction first. It can deliver up to 60 frames per second pretty quickly. The next stage is to improve graphics quality, which currently falls far short of what gamers are used to in Madden football, for example. As tantalizing as all that might sound to sports fans, they won't see this anytime soon, however. Caruana said his group still needs six times more power to get the graphics right. Bryant promised to deliver it, though, eventually. And that's where we conclude our second day of coverage of the 2020 Consumer Electronics Show. EE Times On Air is doing a series of special podcasts live from the Consumer Electronics Show with an episode yesterday, this one today, and another tomorrow. We've also got coverage on a special site set up specifically for the CES 2020 show. Find it at ces.eetimes.com. Thanks for listening. And check back with us tomorrow for more from CES 2020 in Las Vegas. This podcast is produced by AspenCore Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. The transcript of this podcast can be found on eetimes.com. Find our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry, or the EE Times website. I'm Brian Santo.